Hi, this is Teddy. You're listening to Three Broads Recap the Debate on Two Broads Talking Politics. Bye, y'all. Are you la la listening? everyone, this is Kelly with Two Brads Talking Politics, part of the Demcast Podcast Network, and we're going to bring you a special uh, breaking news uh, episode today. Not really breaking news, but a debate recap, which is not the kind of thing we normally do, but we thought it would be a, a fun change of pace. So I'm joined, of course, by my lovely co-host, Sophie. Hello, Sophie. Hello, lovely co-host. <laughs> and joining us today is a, a great friend of the podcast. We have with us writer Kaz Wida. Hi, Kaz. Hello. All right. So let's talk about this crazy debate from last night. So we're recording this on Wednesday, October 16th. The fourth Democratic debate was last night. And uh, there were 12 people on stage. Uh, so what do we think? We like 12 people on stage? No. no. <laughs> Nobody likes 12 people on stage. <laughs> Not even the 12 people on stage like 12 people on stage. This is so I, I missed the beginning of the debate because I was putting my kids in bed and I turned it on and I'm watching and I'm watching and I'm watching and all of a sudden I was like, wait, isn't Tom Steyer on the stage somewhere? I haven't heard one thing out of him. <laughs> And most of the time, they didn't even, like, pan out enough to actually show all 12 of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was too yeah. many. I understand what the DNC is trying to do. I understand that they're trying to, you know, like, show that they're open to so many perspectives. But at this point, like, I don't care what Tulsi Gabbard or Tom Steyer has to say, honestly. Like, they're polling at 1%, and I don't care. Like, I just – I don't care. They're not going to be the nominee. I want to hear from – people who might plausibly be the nominee in 2020 at this point. So honestly, I would be fine with everybody, but like the top five, everybody, but uh, Warren, Biden, Sanders, Buttigieg and Harris could just go away. That'd be fine. I mean, I'd be okay with just a Warren Harris debate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, me too, like emotionally, but I'm talking about like practically <laughs> the people who uh, I think, are like reasonably have a chance at being the nominee are those five people and really realistically not even those five people but at least an outside chance yeah it seems like a lot of folks on that stage are really running for a cabinet position at this point and mm -hmm. so i think we need to be honest about what that is and then not continue to use these debates as a platform for that mm -hmm. all right so do we think that this debate changed anybody's mind about anything? <laughs> and I'll go first and say, no, I think whoever your favorite candidate was walking in the door is who your favorite candidate was when you were walking out the door. But do you guys agree and disagree? I agree. And I think that is pretty borne out by the data that 538 just published. They do um, polling where they poll people before the debate um, and then they pull people immediately after the debate and see who, like, moved between candidates. And 
nobody lost anybody, which I guess Bernie Sanders like technically lost like 0.1%, but that could be statistical noise. Like some people seem to have gained a little bit, but it doesn't seem like, I just feel like most people, their supporters said, yeah, that was great. The person I love did great. And that was it. Yeah. (laughs) It does seem anecdotally like a couple more people are coming around to Elizabeth Warren. I have Mm -hmm. no idea if, if, data will show this at all. But, you know, I had somebody message me on Facebook last night and say, oh, Warren did a really great job. I was talking to a coworker this morning who was like, yeah, I really like Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, they they certainly weren't people who were against Elizabeth Warren in the first place. Just maybe she mm-hmm. sort of rose in their estimation. I don't know if that's as much about how she performed as it is that everybody on the stage clearly saw her as a front runner. Mm hmm. The data does yeah. seem to bear that out, at least what 538 just published. Um, Elizabeth Warren looks to have gained about 3% of support. Um, and then the other people who gained support, each about four points, were uh, Buttigieg and Klobuchar. Yeah, there, I think there was some – I think there's some confirmation to the speculation that because everyone sort of focused their attacks on her as a front runner rather than Biden, um, who's been sort of the focal point of some – fire uh, before in previous debates, it just gave Warren a chance to talk more about her policies. And I, I, in that way, it probably backfired a little bit and, and simply gave her a wider audience and a, and a larger platform to talk about what she actually wants to do. People were sort of going after Warren, uh, notably Buttigieg did, Amy Klobuchar did, which seemed really strange to me. Harris did. Do we think that that worked for the candidates who were doing that? Okay, I have a lot of emotion about Buttigieg right now. (laughs) I felt that his apparently this is the opposite of the way a lot of other people feel, which is apparently sort of the zeitgeist feels that he did well. And I felt like terribly disappointed in him. He was my number three and he has fallen so far. I have no idea why he was so angry at everyone. And like, yelling at everyone i didn't understand his like weird exchange with beto o'rourke where he was like i don't need lessons on moral courage from you beto like i mean okay he just seemed really angry and combative and said a lot of things that i thought didn't make any sense especially when he was talking to warren there was one point where warren was like arguing for medicare for all And uh, saying, you know, maybe people don't like it now, but I think when they understand that they'll have similar coverage, but then their premiums will go away, they'll they'll like it better. And Buttigieg was like, well, I don't think the American people are wrong about this. And I'm like, well, the American people are wrong about stuff all the time. (laughs) Like the American people were wrong about the invasion of Iraq, which they supported pretty fully at the beginning because they didn't have the full picture. I mean, up until about 2012, 2013, the American people were pretty wrong about gay marriage. Like, the American people have been wrong, um, and people can be persuaded, which I think is part of the job of the president as sort of the head of the executive branch. I think that's really the president's role in legislative, you know, politics. So I... I was really, really, really put off by Buttigieg's anger and how weird it was that he was trying to have this like this whole theme to his campaign about like, I'm the one that can bring everyone together after Trump's gone. And then he's like yelling at people and needlessly picking fights. I don't know. I found his performance very upsetting. 
I don't think you're wrong about how that played with the general audience, the general, at least Democratic audience. And I think this is where you get into how Republicans and Democrats really respond differently um, to messaging. Democrats are much more likely to respond well and to be inspired by positivity, harmony. They are turned off when um, things get aggressive and combative. Whereas Republicans tend to view that as, oh, you know, he or she as a candidate is a fighter. We don't we don't really like that sort of um, messaging and we don't necessarily view it as productive. And I think that if you look at the wider audience, maybe Mayor Pete scored some points or some hits for going after Elizabeth about some of her policy stances and, and being a little bit more clear about them. But for specifically Democrats, I saw a lot of conversation on Twitter about how he came off as kind of mansplaining, and that's mm-hmm. not a good look uh, for any candidate right now. And it's interesting because I feel like Amy Klobuchar at points did the same thing, like got really angry for reasons that I couldn't quite fathom and really pushed back hard on the more leftist candidates. But I didn't find it as like off-putting. And I think first there's the gendered issue of Buttigieg, this guy who literally has just been a mayor, like yelling at people who are in the Senate and know a little bit more about, you know, legislative priorities than he does. But also I feel like Amy Klobuchar, it's part of her brand, right? Like I feel like Amy Klobuchar's brand is I'm a no-nonsense moderate and I'm I'm going to, you know, push back against the left and the right. Whereas Buttigieg's brand has been up until this point very like kumbaya. Like in the last debate, he yelled at people because he like chastised them for fighting. He was like, this is why people don't like, you know, Washington because people fight like this. So it just seemed really off-brand and like unexpected to me. I think if I, if he had always all along sort of been this combative, I wouldn't have been so put off by it because I would have expected it. You know, it seems weird to me that – so Buttigieg has two strengths going for him, right, that in – He's got other strengths, but strengths in sort of the the turnout. He is the first really big millennial candidate, and he is the first openly LGBTQ candidate. He is not leaning into either one of those. He is like presenting himself as this old cranky white guy, which we already have plenty of in this race. Mm -hmm. I just don't get it. I think – and what I really don't get is I feel like he's hurting his chances in the future. I don't think he can win right now. He's got to understand he can't win this year. I, I mean, he never say never. Like, who knows what's going to happen in the world in the next few months and things could go topsy-turvy. But the chances are very low. And so why cut – you know, like he's reducing his chances of getting – a position in the cabinet. He's reducing his chances of people liking him four years from now, eight years from now, 12 years from now. Like, I just, I, I don't get it. It's a very weird strategy. It was very weird. And then there were all these parts where he would criticize people for having sort of these big ideas. Like, he would criticize um, Warren and Sanders for Medicare for All. He had a like a huge back and forth with O'Rourke about gun policy. And he'd be like, oh, all of these ideas are impossible. And you don't even know how you're going to implement them. And then his big idea was to add to the Supreme Court. And then he sort of waved it around away by saying like, well, other people who are smarter than me will figure out how to get it through without a constitutional amendment. Like, 
I don't understand. Is he trying to say that he has big, bold ideas, or is he trying to say that big, bold ideas are impractical and so we shouldn't have them? I felt like he was trying to play it both sides. It felt a little bit to me like how in the first debate, Harris kind of tried to play both sides of the, um, the health care issue by saying, oh, I support Medicare for all, but not really. Um, I, I felt like he was playing that all night. Like he was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Mr. Hiding it back and forth. He, he didn't seem to know, he seemed to have lost who he was as a candidate. And I was really surprised. I think what may have happened, he, his numbers bounced up a little in Iowa, enough that people noticed that he was gaining a little bit of ground in some of the Iowa uh, polls. And so he may just have been feeling that. And he went into that debate with people in his ear telling him to be more aggressive and to capitalize on that. And maybe that's what that looked like for him. But I think you're right. I think it backfired. We think all the sort of also rans on the stage are are probably aren't going to see any big bump from this, right? I mean, like Tulsi Gabbard did nothing to impress me. And uh, even if I had loved everything else about her, saying that her friend is Trey Gowdy is just like, nope, (laughs) I'm out. Um, Tulsi Gabbard, Tom Steyer got like two minutes of speaking time. Uh, Cory Booker, you know, you walk away knowing he's a vegan and not a whole lot else. Uh, Julian Castro, I thought, had a great performance, but it's not going to be enough to change anything. I, I I'm, can't even name everybody on that stage. There's too many people still on there. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so what do we think about the the two guys who were the front runners uh, up until everybody decided that Elizabeth Warren was? Uh, did, did Biden? Uh, I, I feel like maybe he had a slightly better night than the third debate, but still not enough to, to keep his slide from, uh, you know, continuing. I feel like he like did he always does this where he does like fine in the first half like not great but like he's making coherent points but then at the in the second half he he just like loses it like for me when he had this confrontation with Warren I was really disturbed there was a part where Warren was talking about um her uh role in the in the creation of the consumer protection bureau um and how it was basically her baby. And it was an idea that she had. She was using this to sort of um, push back at the moderates who were saying, oh, well, you have all these great ideas, but you have no, you know, they're pipe dreams and you can't really implement them. And she was saying, you know, I had this great idea and then I actually went out and implemented it. And here's a great example of how I got this done. And Biden put his hand in her face and said, I helped get votes for you. <laughs> and it just came off really like, sexist like he was trying to get her to say that she owed him somehow for something that she had I mean this was her baby and she actually was appointed by Obama to be the person who set it up and most people I have been reading who worked in the Obama administration said I don't know what Joe Biden's talking about he didn't help with that bill very much at all um it, it was just a really bizarre moment, and it came off really poorly to me. So for me, it was pretty consistent with his previous debate performances, which are he's fine in the first half, and then in the second half, he does something less fine. I think it's sort of consistent with both Biden and Sanders. <laughs> they sort of just get points for showing up, especially <laughs> Sanders' this debate, right? Yeah. Like the fact that he was there and that he didn't look that bad, everyone's like, oh, well, you know, awesome. <laughs> awesome thoughts. He showed up and he doesn't look like he's 
um, in poor health. And that's pretty much all he needed to do to perform well in the debate. And, and I think Biden's sort of in the same situation. As long as he doesn't screw up, he doesn't lose anyone because their support isn't based on his debate performances. It's based on some sort of weird calculus about who can win the nomination. So I, I don't know. I don't feel like Biden or Sanders could have done anything unless they unless they really, really screwed up um, to affect polling. Yeah, although, I mean, I, I think they might continue. Well, Sanders isn't sliding. He's just steady. He's had like the same 17% since he got in the race. He will have the same 17% at the end of the race. Uh, but Biden, you know, I, I think he he's not maybe actively pushing people away with his performance. But anyone who was lukewarm to begin with might continue to see performances like that and just not be inspired. So, you know, I think I think there's a lot of things contributing to him sort of sliding in the polls, uh, but that could very well be be part of it. Uh, although, you know, it's not so much he's sliding as Warren is gaining. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think a lot of people who started out, at least in my experience, a lot of people who started out supporting Biden supported him because he was the one that they knew and he was associated with Obama, who a lot of people still have good feelings about, especially in comparison to the current administration. And I think having him on a stage full of other really smart people who know what they're talking about and who um, maybe are more in touch with what uh, voters say under 60 are looking for maybe make some people who were just sort of Biden fans by default think twice. So the the final candidate that we haven't talked a whole lot about is Kamala Harris. Uh, you know, she, of course, at the first debate had this amazing performance or what everyone said was an amazing performance that really seemed to catapult her in the polls. And then she fell back down and doesn't seem to have really, you know, gained since then again. What did you think of her performance last night? Um, exactly. <laughs> Long pause. I mean, she So she had a good answer on impeachment at the very beginning, and I thought she was going to end up doing better than she did. But then she wasn't really a presence a whole lot, which I don't know was her fault or the moderator's fault, but she sort of wasn't as much of a presence. And then she had a weird exchange with Warren about Twitter that I didn't really understand what the point she was trying to make. I was a little confused about why, like, she was so passionate about Twitter. Um, it just didn't really land right for me. So I just felt like she kind of fell flat. Yeah, that whole um, argument was sort of a sticking point for me as well. I don't know that I agree with her. I don't think that uh, as much as I hate the way <laughs> that Trump dictates policy and um, you know, uses his Twitter account to amplify messages that we think are highly dangerous um, and incite violence in some cases, right? I don't know that taking away his Twitter account is really the answer. I think I think I would have sat much better with that whole exchange if her argument had have been we need to push Twitter to hold him to the same accountability rules that the rest of the community has on that platform. Um, I think that that's probably a much stronger message. But yeah, I, I didn't really get the 
I didn't really get why that was the hill she wanted to die on um, over Trump's Twitter account. Well, and it seemed like she was saying we should hold companies accountable, but mm, the company should hold the person account. I don't know. It was a very strange, like, are we telling other companies they have to stop showing what Trump does? Because I don't think we are. So, yeah, I just I didn't totally get that. And, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for Kamala because my five-year-old loves her, <laughs> and she was very sweet with him. But, you know, that that's not enough to uh, to make me think she had a good debate performance. I don't think it was bad. It was just kind of, eh. All right. Well, uh, in a debate that apparently changed nothing, <laughs> except that maybe we don't like Pete very much anymore. Uh, any any final takeaways, any things that we should uh, think about as we move toward? Do we know yet what the November rules are for getting into the debate? You have to have – there's some sort of donor threshold. I can't remember what it is, but it, a lot of people have the donor threshold. But then you have to have either like a certain higher level of polling support in a number of um, eligible polls or you have to have – multiple early state uh, polls doing really well. So I think only seven people have qualified for November, which would be amazing. Can we just stop right now? Yes. I uh, got into arguments with people on Twitter last night when I was saying that there are much better ways that Tom Steyer could spend his money and people saying, but he, you know, he has every right to be there. And yes, of course he does. But I, I find it troubling and upsetting that he spent $30 million of his own money just on ads to get people to donate to him so he could buy his way into the debate. And the $30 million got him 166,000 donors. I literally cannot with the like, he has the right to do like, that's not what anybody is arguing. It's the same way when people, when I try to argue a point, a political point on the internet and they say, well, I have a right to my opinion. And I'm like, you do. I'm not saying you can't hold your opinion. I'm saying your opinion is stupid. Like (laughs) nobody's arguing that Tom Steyer should be like physically barred from running for office, from running for the presidency. They're just saying it's a dumb idea. It also point towards the problem that, you know, politics, you can buy yourself, you can buy yourself a legitimate candidacy, you can buy yourself a spot in politics, and it really shouldn't be that way. And I don't like that, um, you know, Tom doing that sort of highlights that that's, that's not an issue that is confined to any one party, unfortunately. And it, he's sort of putting that on display by buying his way into the debate every time. Well, and he then, you know, tries to get onto the stage to say that he's he's running because apparently he said this in an interview last night that like the reason he got in the debate was because no one was talking about how government is broken. I was like, but um, so you're buying your way into a debate to show us how things are broken. And like literally everyone who has ever run for president has been running, maybe not Washington, has been running on like government's broken. I'm going to fix it. Like that's how we got the guy who's in the White House right now. Like what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And literally like every other candidate who is running for office for the Democratic ticket right now has been talking like corruption is a huge part of everybody's platform right now. Like I don't even know what he's talking about. Yeah. 
All right. Well, on that note, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining our <laughs> debate recap. I, I can't promise you we're going to do this every debate, but it, it seemed like a, a good time to stop and take stock now that they're all all, all on the same stage and uh, get a sense for, for how people are doing. I, I maintain my position that I don't think this debate changed anything at all, and I'm, maybe we don't need quite this many debates, especially when we have you know, candidate forums constantly and, and everything else. But uh, either way, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sophie. Thanks, Gaz. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Two Broads Talking Politics, part of the Dimcast Podcast Network. Our theme song is called Are You Listening? off of the album Elephant-Shaped Trees by the band Immunuri, and we're using it with permission of the band. Our logo and other original artwork is by Matthew Wefflin and was created for use by this podcast. You can contact us at twobroadstalkingpolitics at gmail.com or on Twitter or Facebook at twobroadstalk. You can find all of our episodes at twobroadstalkingpolitics.com or anywhere podcasts are found.